In terrestrial farming, a common mortality rate over a, a grow-out season could be 25%, which we would never accept in poultry or in, in cattle. And that's, that's huge, yeah. It's big. And bearing in mind, all of those fish need to be fed, they need to be cared for. So it's a cost and all the feed costs going into fish that never end up on a plate. So it's very wasteful having these really high mortality rates, as well as obviously kind of an egregious issue for animal welfare. The global food system is facing unparalleled challenges and changes. So, how can we reset for a better, more sustainable future? Introducing Control-Alt-Meat, the weekly podcast that explores the issues transforming the global food business. I'm your host, Katie Briefel. Come join me as I speak to the innovators and investors, policymakers and product developers, the scientists and the chefs, who are all on the front line reshaping the future of our food. What's really going on in aquaculture right now? And how bad really is the state of our seas? In this mini episode, I'm joined by Lily Stewart from the FAIR Initiative to give us a lowdown. Lily, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. No, my pleasure. So just so that we can give everyone some context, what is meant by the term aquaculture? Right. Yeah. So let's go kind of back to basics. Aquaculture is any farming in water. So it doesn't have to be in seawater. It doesn't have to be in freshwater. It also doesn't have to be fish. So it can be crustaceans or mussels, clams, even seaweed. So really any farming that you're doing in water. So what areas of aquaculture are currently facing the most ESG scrutiny at the moment? Well, most governments and indeed investors are quite pro-aquaculture because it is seen as a major contributor to solving the food shortage that we are possibly heading into as we have a swelled population into 2050. So it is certainly here to stay. But many parts of the aquaculture industry are quite young in terms of the level of professionalism and how long these companies have been around. So there are quite a few ESG. ESG issues that are still hanging around. The biggest one is feed. So two of the I probably biggest aquaculture markets within the West are salmon and shrimp. And salmon and shrimp both need to be fed with animal protein. So rather than kind of herbivore type animals, which we typically farm terrestrially, we know we don't farm lions to feed ourselves we farm cows and sheep and things like that whereas um, salmon tuna and shrimp all need to be fed a carnivorous diet so it it kind of adds this middleman where you're fishing things like sardines and anchovies to grind them up to put them into fish feed when really we could just be feeding those two humans so there's an inefficiency there um, there's also a risk of, you know, overfishing of biodiversity loss within there when you're, when you're fishing fish for feed. And in addition to that, other parts of the feed basket that we feed, particularly salmon are things like soy and algae and all of those need to be sourced and soy brings with it a huge amount of deforestation risk as well. So it's a double layer of, sort of damage that we're causing really. Mm-hmm. And there's been an increasing awareness around the issue of fish welfare recently. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think it's been fairly well established that, you know, the terrestrial animals that we farm, they feel stress, they feel pain um, for quite a long time. And, and 
consumers have been aware of that for a long time. It's becoming a lot more, um, well, people are becoming a lot more conscious of it with regards to fish. Researchers have made an incredibly strong case that fish feel stress and pain, um, you know, which is now kind of undeniable at this point. But also researchers are beginning to make quite a strong case for fish feeling joy and having very complex um, social relationships and things like that. So the idea of putting something that can feel that amount of emotion in a tank for its entire life um, is starting to kind of jar with the consumer, with farmers, with kind of the NGO space, with academics. And if you think, if you take salmon in particular, um, salmon is a fish that lives both in fresh and seawater. So it's born in the rivers. It transitions very slowly into the sea phase, lives there for a while, heads back to the river to spawn. It's got this really complex life cycle, whereas obviously in the in sort of on the farm, they're grown in freshwater, they're dumped, you know, immediately into seawater where you get a lot of um, a lot of deaths, a lot of loss of juvenile fish there. They swim in a net or a tank for two years and then they're killed. So it's a it's a very unnatural, um, unnatural space, which when we compare with how a lot of terrestrial animals are farmed, you know, grazing animals are still out grazing in their herds there it's much more uh, a normal natural way of of raising animals there hasn't been as much of a widespread mainstream discussion about this to date so it's great that that's um being shone a light on so if we want to try and change this what are the biggest challenges getting in the way of us reforming this industry well a huge one is cost so a lot of these welfare issues arise um and another major welfare issue is of course biosecurity so we have diseases we have things like parasites and sea lice that are very um obviously very stressful very painful for the fish and and they have a, an impact on on cost consumer trust um sea lice is probably one of the most off-putting um aspects of of salmon farming could you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely so there's kind of two main i guess diseases that um particularly salmon suffer from one of them is a parasite called sea lice essentially they are tiny little parasites that they pick up in the water and they can sort of multiply and you could have like dozens of sea lice on a salmon, they're probably about the size of a fly, um, and they can essentially kind of eat them alive. Um, it's very painful, very off-putting, quite grotesque, obviously, when you when you see it, very stressful for the fish. And they also migrate beyond the net into wild populations. So you have this breeding ground for these parasites, and then they can escape into, um, into the natural environment as well. Um, then we have other things like gill amoeba, which is essentially just a, a gill disease that fish get, which... Um, obviously just make them very sick. You get a lot of um, mortality events. Mortality events just mean basically mass deaths um, when the salmon stock are kind of diseased en masse. And when salmon farms are sighted very close together, these diseases can travel very quickly because it, it, you're in water, right? So the diseases can just go right through um, an entire farm or maybe across an entire kind of bay system that might have multiple farms on there. So there's a lot of risk for, you know, a sudden loss of stock as well, which we don't necessarily see again in terrestrial, um, in terrestrial farming. A common mortality rate um, over a, a grow out season could be 25%, which we would never accept in poultry or in, in cattle. Um, and that's, that's huge. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, it's big and bearing in mind all of those fish need to be fed, they need to be cared for. So it's a cost and all the feed costs going into fish that never end up on a plate. So it's very wasteful having these really high mortality rates as well as um, obviously kind of an egregious issue for animal welfare. 
Got it. And so for the everyday consumer, when they're purchasing some salmon in a supermarket, to what extent is buying something that says it's sustainably caught going to make a big difference, do you think? Yeah, that is really tricky at the moment because it may be it may be true. It may be the case. You may have you know some salmon farmers who perform very well in terms of disease, in terms of mortality. The issue with that right now is we just don't know. We don't have the traceability to say um, which farm is which. And most high street supermarkets, if you turn over a pack of um, smoked salmon, it will say grown in. It will say on the back of the packet grown in Scotland or Norway. You know, it's that opaque. We don't actually even know the country of origin often as consumers, let alone the company and then the individual farm level. So we would have no way of knowing where this particular piece of salmon came from. So we're still waiting on the level of traceability and transparency there. We just don't have it yet from the industry. That's, yeah, really shocking, I guess, that we don't have that specificity. So we've talked about the environmental risks. Could you talk about any social risks in this industry? Absolutely. The agriculture industry globally is, of course, very varied. So in certain parts, we, of course, have, you know, common reports of forced labour. And then within the more kind of investment space, the listed space, we where we see salmon aquaculture largely having a huge portion of that. We have issues with um, sort of community resistance and indigenous communities. Salmon aquaculture farms are usually located in incredibly valuable places. So that would be the fjords of Norway, the Scottish Highlands, the Tasmanian coast, the Salish Sea in Canada and the US. And these places are incredibly valuable from, yes, an ecosystem perspective and a biodiversity perspective, but also from a a spiritual and a recreational perspective for the communities that depend on those places. So you will see cropping up time and time again, a lot of protesting, a lot of blocking, a lot of lawsuits, class action lawsuits from from affected community members who really just think that these uh, large scale farms are you know, damaging to the environment, also damaging to wild salmon stocks. If you have maybe genetically modified salmon escaping and breeding with wild stocks, they can um, reduce their kind of effectiveness and fecundity and make them less available for normal fishing or for recreational fishing, which impacts um, other people's livelihoods and other people's, um, I guess, spiritual connection to their to their home. Yeah, that sense of community, absolutely. One of the positives is we're starting to see this growth in alternative seafood. Um, Could you explain sort of for listeners what that is and um, what kind of exciting developments you're starting to see? Well, alternative seafood is, you know, very similar to alternative meats, which we're all probably quite familiar with. You'd have like veggie burgers, veggie sausages. Alternative uh, seafoods is is fairly similar. So there's two main kinds. One is something that is plant based. And so it's kind of an imitation. Usually on the market, what they are, are imitations of already quite processed things. So you'll see plant-based fish cakes, plant-based fish fingers, um, something that's breaded. It has a lot of flavoring added to it. And it's more like a, yeah, like a processed food. What we are seeing coming online now, which is really interesting, which is cell-cultured fish. So cell-cultured meat is very recognizable in the market. It doesn't have a a huge market share as of yet. And the the cultured fish side is even smaller. But what that essentially is, is where you're taking stem cells from a fish and growing just the cells in a lab, giving it all the nutrients that it needs. So you would get essentially a fillet of that fish without having to grow the entire fish. So it's more um, efficient in terms of nutrient and water use and 
energy and for just you know quite basically the fish isn't wasting energy growing skeleton scales tail head all these things that we're not going to eat it's also not using energy to swim around um so it's much more efficient in terms of nutrients and and things like water um and also we could possibly decentralize supply using this because if you could locate a factory very close to major cities rather than having to transport fish from the shoreline um or you know take further burden off of um off of overburdened fisheries as well so but really interesting things happening in that space it's quite difficult more so than meat to um to mirror the 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 taste of fish, the texture of fish is quite difficult to um, to gather. So I believe that's been a limiting factor, but there's have been some in, in interesting innovations in that space recently. It's a really positive development. Thank you so much, Lee. That was really insightful. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Control Alt Meat. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on social media to help us reach more listeners like you. You can also visit controlaltmeat.com to learn more.